to the Gym Podcast. Uncut, unfiltered, unreal. All right, welcome everybody to the Gym Podcast with your hosts Randy and Jimbo Fisher. All right, we have a very we have a very good episode planned today. Um, in this episode, we're defi- definitely going to be talking a lot about narratives, more so than stats. We're not going to ignore stats, but given the point we are in the season, the narratives are really starting to take over and are becoming very compelling. And also part of it is there's not going to be any ranked versus ranked matchups this weekend. But don't snooze. There's going to be some good ones. It's true. I mean, I, after all, yeah, hey, this is 2007 part two chaos, right? It is. It, I, and I got to say, whenever there is like a season, like it feels like every season, there's that one week where there are like literally no ranked matchups and it looks super boring. It looks like, you know, I can fall asleep this weekend. And it feels like every year during that week, the most chaos happens. Wouldn't you say? Exactly. That's why I don't want to sleep on it. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, we do have the Alabama-Tennessee game this weekend. With that in mind, I was kind of doing some research, mm-hmm. and it was about mid-season rivalries, and I found them to be very exciting. Uh, they usually develop naturally, and there's like a bigger bigger natural history to them, more so than they just happen to be in the same state. There's stories that go along with it. I mean, heck, now we're even developing the whole mustard gate with Tennessee thing, we're probably. I really hope our students do something with that this weekend. I really hope they do. They probably will. Uh, there's we, a lot of there's, there's a lot of hate there. What should we should take we some time to discuss the travesty that was Tennessee's game? I mean, that was unprecedented. That was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that was unprecedented. I mean, that was that was very shameful. I'm not just gonna rag on them because they're my hated rival. No, that was really bad. Fans in general, we started seeing this in even like the NBA, NBA finals, NBA yeah. playoffs, yeah. where fans are just just lost their mind. So I don't want to blame them specifically, but it's just something you have to keep in mind. You gotta keep it together. Stay in check. Yeah, it, it's gonna. I feel like that narrative is gonna be brought up again and again and again, especially in games like you know this weekend where they play Alabama. I mean, if Bama destroys them, there's gonna be so much mustard emote spamming going on. I mean, oh, yeah. and rightfully so, but it's just, it's unfortunate. It's not the type of thing they're going to easily live down because, yeah. I mean, th- think about it. You can make fun of teams for losing in certain ways and think, haha, that's part of the sport. Yeah. But there's never going to be a situation where, like, mustard was thrown onto the field <laughs> ever again. Like, it's so unique. It is. And yeah. weirdly on brand. And plus, it matches, weirdly matches their color. Yeah. And we already make fun of them for, like, we already make the garbage truck workers convention jokes, and then they throw garbage all over the field. I mean, yeah. the jokes really write themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and I will be fair. I will be. Fa- I will be fair to the couple of Tennessee fans I talked to, like right after the game. Mm-hmm. They were very condemning of the action, so yeah. it's clear that they're not just like happy about it. Yeah, I, I mean, but obviously, this definitely isn't a majority of fans. It's just unfortunate that I imagine like just a bunch of drunk students basically caused this. And it's making yeah. the entire fan base, you know, look really bad. But. Also, we obviously, to play into the whole natural hate and natural history of these mid-season rivalries, I will give a very brief history of Alabama-Tennessee and why there's so much hatred nowadays. Oh, obviously, boy. we have our history from the 60s and 70s. I'm not going to go into that. What I will touch on is, so Tennessee, you know, everybody knows the video where they call them. They low down, they dirty, they some snitches because they are what happened was so in the 1990s tennessee got caught cheating and it was something it wasn't too big of a deal 
The thing is, Florida was cheating in the exact same way that they were. So when Tennessee got caught, they ratted out Florida in order to avoid punishment. So everybody saw that as a very Bush League move, which it is. However, they did it. The exact same thing happened again a decade later in the mid 2000s with Tennessee and Alabama. Granted, the way we were cheating was like it was some like unpaid textbook refund thing. So it's yeah. not really like the biggest of deal. It's but it's things that are legal now with NIL, essentially. And they ratted us out to avoid punishment after they get cut. And then um, Phil Fulmer, of all people, acted self-righteous about it. <laughs> like, we're all no-good cheaters. When he was the one doing it. He's the one that got caught. Yep. Unreal. And, and he, he literally said, he literally said, word for word, his, his stated goal was to bring on the demise of the Alabama program right after he ratted out. So it's clear that he's just pulling some really bushling moves that are just, they're dirty. It's dirty. That's why we low call down. them dirty. They're low down. That's why, that's why everybody in the SEC, if you notice, that's why everybody hates them and nobody thinks of them as the little tendency that we hope, hopes to see recover. <laughs> it's like this, this past, these past two decades is the ultimate karma. I, Ooh, I'm trying to calm down. I'm no, a that's fine. I, I get that you're upset. I get, <laughs> my, the only thing I'd say, Randy, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but have you considered just not cheating? I mean, that seems like an easy oh way God. to avoid all of this. I get a, go, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, hey, you know what's really sad is that if Tennessee is still cheating, I would hate to cheat and still be a losing program. That's true. If you're going to cheat, at least win. Good point. To be yeah. fair, when they were caught cheating, they were a winning program, so... Yeah, back in the 90s. I mean, these, like you say, these last two decades, dude, I feel like Tennessee hasn't really been relevant, like, in my lifetime, or at least as long as I've been watching football. You know what I mean? Like, I can't remember the last time Tennessee was, like, in a big bowl game, you know, dominating opponents. That was, like, well before our time. Very true, very true. And to even continue on with the midseason rivalry thing, you can't get away with nearly as many mistakes versus your rivals, any rival, as you can versus just regular conference opponents and regular conference games. Yeah. So these midseason rivalry games actually do a very good job of checking certain teams. Well, because Randy, you've, you've mentioned this here, but like, can you give some examples of these midseason rivalries that you're talking about? Okay, okay. Oklahoma versus Texas. That was the moment that got Rattler benched. And that was the moment where Caleb Williams came in and started playing really hard. And you could see a change in how Oklahoma played. You could see they played harder for Caleb Williams than they did for Rattler. They did, yeah. Iowa State versus Iowa in week two. We talked about how overranked Iowa Iowa State was. Lo and behold, they get checked by Iowa. True. Georgia versus Auburn. After Bo Nix had that amazing game, they kept them in check for what Auburn usually is, especially with a first-year head coach. Fun fact about that, I will like to point out that Brian Harson does have the highest win percentage of all first-year head coaches, and that's an untied record right now. Hmm. He's at 5-2. and two. That's pretty good. Yeah. And we have some very interesting upcoming uh, midseason rivalries. They're not this week, but I'll go ahead and talk about them. Yeah. Michigan versus Michigan State's oh, obviously going to be huge. I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that one, especially if they're both undefeated heading into that game. Absolutely. We have one. I I'm gonna save what I really want to say about this for the next episode, but I want to bring up in <laughs> relation to how these can be a good check for certain teams. Georgia versus Florida. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Every not everybody knows how I feel about Georgia, but they'll ooh. find out next week. Yeah, stay tuned because they'll, I, they'll, I they'll know find out. You've got a lot of really hot takes about them. <laughs> I do. 
Uh, there's some Group of Five teams that are there are a lot of Group of Five teams actually that are still undefeated and on a collision course. For example, UTSA Texas San Antonio versus UTEP. That's a rivalry game for in-state Group of Five teams. Seven O UTSA, who's usually pretty good, they beat Power Five teams versus six and one UTEP. And this UTEP team is actually historically pretty bad. They had like what? what they average have what? One, two, three wins in the past four years. Mm-hmm. And now they're six and one, playing very good defensive football. This is a really good turnaround. Yeah. I you know. also have six and zero SMU versus five and one Houston coming up in a couple weeks, and then later on the in the season you have currently six and zero SMU versus six and zero Cincinnati. Should be good. So there's some collision courses that are about to happen. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And I know we said there might be chaos this week, but regardless, it it feels as though as though we're kind of like in the calm before the storm. You know what I mean? Like, we're officially, like, halfway through the season at this point. And really, more than most years, it kind of feels like the playoff picture is is a bit hazy. You know, it's not really dead set exactly who's going to be making it. Like, yeah, you could look at Georgia and say they're probably going to make it. But outside of that, I mean, there are so many one-loss teams at the top that it feels like every loss really, really matters at this point. That, like, if Ohio State or Bama or Oregon lose one more time, like, they're officially out. So I'm really looking forward to where things go from here on out. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but the most likely scenario is that the usual teams do shake out at the top. You think so? People hate to hear it. People hate to hear it. Uh, but experience matters in these situations. But hey, they are there are still a lot of Cinderellas left. There's a lot of possibilities left. Wake Forest, yeah. even teams like Pittsburgh, Oklahoma State. You know, these are very compelling teams. We we can see what's gonna happen with them. Yeah, absolutely. So this brings me this brings me to my next point. <laughs> The October Heisman Watch. Oh boy, we uh, we have an admittedly weak Heisman year this year. Yeah. Um, it's still interesting to talk about just based on what happens, what has happened so far. I will give. I will start with the Georgia player, Jordan Davis, the defensive lineman for Georgia. There was one play in particular that I saw that made me really open my eyes to how great he is. It was during the Arkansas game. Three Arkansas players were trying to block him on one play, yet he still blew the play up because he was just pushing on back. And it was he was blowing he was blowing the play up, and it was going to be a touchdown, but because it was near the goal line, and he just said nope. <laughs> I mean, even though like Georgia's defense is like historically good this year, I mean, do you think it's even possible for a defensive player to win the Heisman? I mean, that hasn't happened it, since what I think Charles Woodson won it. Like, I think I think it is for a couple reasons. One is obviously the weaker quarterback play, weaker offensive play we're seeing, individual offensive play we're seeing this year. Another is that I think voters and fans are more wanting to see see it changed up. I think fans are getting tired of the same old, same old Heisman winners yeah. and are more willing to vote for more niche positions. That's what happened. I think that's partially how, what helped Devontae Smith win yeah, last year. Yeah, wide receiver. I mean, we went through a huge stretch there where like every single season – it was a quarterback winning the Heisman. I mean, like, obviously quarterback, you know, it's the most important position in football, and I, I get that. But, you know, give shouts out to the to the wide receivers. Give shouts out to the defensive ends out there. I think I think the world is ready for another defensive Heisman. And if there was one team willing to, you know, be deserving of, of getting that, that crown, I hate to say it, but it probably is Georgia. Their defense is insanely legit this season. If he can keep up those performances against more high-powered offenses, absolutely. Yeah. He has, I will point out, he has eight tackles, eight sacks halfway through the season. 
Um, he's on pace to double his career average per season. So that's he's having a very good year. The one thing is he has less stats, a lot less. He has less than half the total tackles of somebody like Will Anderson, for example, mm-hmm. and a lot less sacks than him. But that's kind of misleading because he plays on the defensive line. Teams purposefully circle him and avoid him. They run away from him every play. Yeah. So he is a game wrecker, and teams have to very be very careful to game plan around him. And with Georgia's defense, they do have a very good defense. They're still going to be able to make plays. Yeah. So he's one of those players. If there was one quarterback, though, um, who was most likely to win the Heisman at this point, who's your front runner? Because I'll be honest, I've got nobody. I can't think of anyone who like really stands up from the crowd at this point of the year. I have. I actually have two answers for this. Do you want the biased answer? Or the <laughs> oh, no, don't answer? tell me. <laughs> I, okay, I have a compelling argument. I will, I'll bring up the biased answer first. Okay. I'm going to say Bryce Young is one of the front runners for quarterback. He has done more with less than in, any other Alabama quarterback. Oh, Randy. The role he's had to take on for this team, we have a straight-up bad offensive line this year, and that's not something we're ever used to seeing with Bama. They they miss assignments all the time. They can't hold up. He's very good at picking up the pressure. He's improved a lot during the season at picking up the pressure, avoiding it, and making quick throws. I saw that a lot in the Mississippi State game where he was very good about seeing the blitz coming, quickly getting it out to an open guy, and just taking the hit anyway. And that's something our quarterbacks aren't used to have to doing. Usually they have the luxury of being able to hold on to the ball. Mm-hmm. For all, thing, all things considered, I understood a lot of the Mac Jones slander. As much as I hated to hear it, I understood that he had a very clean pocket most of the time and was able – he had all the time in the world. Yeah. I get that. Bryce yeah. Young does not have these luxuries, and he's also playing with worse receivers, but he's still putting up awesome stats. We'll see. Who's your unbiased uh, quarterback pick? Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. He has 2,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, one interception. Pittsburgh is currently 5-1. and one, True. And they're playing They're playing Clemson next week. Clemson, Clemson might be able to upset them, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Isn't that uh, a crazy we'll, sentence? Clemson upsetting Pitt. <laughs> hey, I really I had, to, I had to find a way to shoehorn that in this episode. That's good. That's good. <laughs> God, I'm looking at Pitt now, man. It's such a shame they lost to Western Michigan because they'd be— I know, and yeah. he put up 41 points in that game. I crazy. don't know what else you can expect from crazy. him. But they've played an okay schedule versus teams like Virginia Tech— that Georgia Tech team that almost beat Clemson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee's not the best team, but they're still, they've shown improvement from, they've been better than we expected. Yeah, yeah. But they're quietly 5-1. and one. They have an amazing quarterback. We're going to see what they can do. They have zero conference losses, and everybody else in their division has at least two. So they are on track to at least go to the conference championship game. They do have to make it through Clemson, but after the Clemson game, the hardest game is going to be, what, Virginia? Yeah. So I'll be very interested. And they play some bad defenses. They're going to play against Miami. They're going to play against Duke. They're going to play against North Carolina and Syracuse. Those are four bad defenses, and he can run up the score on them. Yeah. So he's going to have a really good stats. Probably the best statistical QB by the end of the year. I know he said we're retired of quarterbacks, but I got to say, if a guy from Pitt wins the Heisman... That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? I mean, Pitt's been kind of in the pits lately, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Good for them. They used to be a powerhouse back in the day, but I'm glad to see them uh, doing better. Yeah. To compare his stats to Bryce Young, Bryce Young has Bryce Young has about the same total yards. He has 24 touchdowns to three interceptions. Granted, Bryce Young does play with better weapons. He plays with the better team. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that does kind of contradict what I said earlier about how he's done more with less than any other Alabama quarterback. That still rings true, but ultimately, it's still more weapons than what Pitt has. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And my final, my final October Heisman watch. Sure. Another biased answer. I just wanted oh to point this out. <laughs> Will Anderson. I don't think he really has a chance, but in the year where we could see a defensive player win it, it would be between Will Anderson and Jordan Davis, in my opinion. Will Anderson had four sacks in the Mississippi State game. He's really become the soul of the defense, and he's taking a real leadership role, which is very needed because I complained last episode about a lack of leadership from our team. Mm -hmm. He's stepped up, and he's taken a vocal leadership role, which is much needed. And our defense played, admittedly, a lot better last week. He has 45 total tackles compared to Jordan Davis's 18, but we already touched on why that's a little misleading Yeah, as Will Anderson plays linebacker. He has six total sacks on the year, uh, four in the Mississippi State game alone. So he's really coming into his own. He's making things happen, and he's really taking on that leadership role that is much needed. So if you can become the soul of a defense that desperately needs it, mm -hmm. that speaks to how valuable you are. True, though, I'll be honest, Randy. If Bama wins again, I'm going to be pretty upset. I think we're all tired of that. I, I understand. Heisman, you know? I was happy for right. Vontae. That was cool. It was cool, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So are we ready for a – we're going to do – are you ready for a quick recap of this week's games? I believe so. I know so. you've taken notes. I have. I know you've taken some some more extensive, extensive notes on some games, mm -hmm. but – yeah, I'm gonna, but for, we're going to try to touch on as many as we can. Yeah. Uh, how about you start off here first, Randy, and the few games I have, I'll go a little bit more in depth on. Okay, I will touch on Kentucky versus Georgia. This was a pretty, this is exactly what I expected. There's really not a whole lot to say. They <laughs> yeah. didn't put the ball in Stetson Bennett's hands to win the game, but he did find 14 to 20, 250 yards, three touchdowns. They out-physicaled them. They out them. I give credit to Kentucky in that Kentucky actually did play a pretty clean game they yeah. didn't have a whole lot of mistakes they just simply weren't good enough it is what it is yeah i mean they put up a decent fight 30 to 13 isn't that bad but i mean it was still a blowout it was four it was a it was a one score game at the half so i'll give them credit for that yeah um one game that i saw part of but then had to leave but was still pretty happy about was iowa losing to purdue 24 to 7 <laughs> uh listen iowa was finally exposed I'm, I'm kind of happy. Um, you know, they, they can't keep winning games with a terrible offense. Uh, I believe their quarterback, Spencer, threw four interceptions that game. Uh, which yes, is Petrus. Is Petrus, that the Spencer, Spencer Petrus, yeah. I mean, that's Graham Mertz numbers right there. Um, <laughs> neither team, I looked, both teams had under 100 yards rushing, so neither team could get anything going on the ground. Um, listen, I, I still think Iowa's good. You know, they might even still be a top 10 team, but they're not number two in the nation. And I think everyone can kind of finally see that after this weekend. My thing, I watched the whole game, and what I was able to see was Iowa's offense is so bad <laughs> that it's going to keep costing them games if they don't do something with their quarterback position. It's that yeah. bad. Yeah. So I remember specifically, it was 17-7, to very late in the third quarter, and Purdue had the ball. They had just taken eight minutes off the clock. What happened was the Purdue player at 17-7 to reached out for the reached out for the pylon, but he fumbled the ball through the back of the end zone to give mm -hmm. Iowa the ball back. Yep. And Iowa got, got away with it right there. So you would think in any other situation, an offensive coordinator would draw up some, some plays, have something in his back pocket to try to get the easiest score they can, try to ensure at least a good drive and at least a field goal, if nothing else. Yeah. 
No, they still call the most vanilla plays possible. I think their quarterback got sacked twice, and it ended up being another three and out. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just baff- that's just laughable to me. You yeah. have to be able to draw something up when you need to. Yeah, you can't I, just rely on bullying teams. Even Georgia draws up spe- specific plays to be able to beat teams when yeah. they need to pull something out of their back pocket. Exactly. I, I really feel like, and I, I don't mean this to try and hype up my team. I say this to bring down Iowa. Iowa feels like Wisconsin with a much easier schedule. Great defense, abysmal offense, and it was finally exposed this weekend. I 100% agree. And I remember one of, in the very first June podcast episode, we talked about how Iowa was playing two overranked teams, yeah. and because they were going to win those two games, they're going to catapult into the top ten. Yep. Deserved or not. Yeah. I, I think of all the picks looking back from that like preseason podcast, I think we were like the most spot on with Iowa. It feels like we've gotten their entire trajectory like like completely correct this season so far. Very yeah, and we that. have. I'm, I'm actually proud, of, a little bit proud of that. <laughs> it's weird how we were more accurate in preseason projections than we have been in the middle of the season. <laughs> it just shows how crazy things have been. That's true. And how hard it is to predict week to week. Chaos, yeah. Speaking of chaos, any other games you uh, were interested in this weekend? Or last weekend, I should say. I will say Oklahoma State versus Texas. Yeah. Uh, if you don't remind, if you don't mind, would you like to remind the viewers of my hot take for last week? Spencer Sanders has not impressed me. He has a, less than 800 yards, five touchdowns, three interceptions. That's just not enough to get it done versus a high-flying offense like Texas. My hot take is that I believe Texas beats Oklahoma State by at least three touchdowns. <laughs> I think Texas' offense is really good and not getting the credit they deserve so oklahoma state beat texas 32 to 24 my hot take was well you just heard it (laughs) did not work out too well texas has this habit of getting up big early with explosive plays and explosive offense and and then just sputtering Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what happened it was 17 to 3 texas had the ball they were driving on the 30 yard line Instead of putting together another drive to make it 24 to 3 and possibly put the game not out of reach but make it much yeah, harder, yeah. they threw a pick six. It's just a bad mistake that you can't really aff- you can't afford to throw pick sixes. It's yeah. just you just can't. It's a 14 point swing right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In Oklahoma State they came back and won and Oklahoma State is one of those teams that I said they can't keep getting away with it. But they got <laughs> away with it again this time. I mean, I, I'm happy for them, though. I, I like Gundy. I like what they got going there. And, you know, fingers crossed we get an undefeated Oklahoma State versus an undefeated Oklahoma later on in the season. Yep. Another chaotic game I would like to talk about is Florida and LSU. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got notes for so, this one. <laughs> I got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I said, I remember, I specifically said, this could be the game where Coach O gets tarmacked. I was... <laughs> Kind of right. Kind of, maybe. I was kind of right. So <laughs> if you remember, right after the game, the day after the game, they 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 announced that Coach O is not going to be extended at the end of the season. He's he's His contract is up at the end of the season, and he's essentially fired, but he yeah. can coach it out, after, even though he won the game. I feel like this happens every year with Coach O and LSU, is that <laughs> they inexplicably lose horribly, and then the very next week beat Florida. Yep, yep. I don't know how that keeps happening, but it does. Uh, this is the game that might finally we might finally start seeing Anthony Richardson more out of Florida. 
He came in for relief for Emory Jones, and he played great. 10 of 19, three touchdowns. He played fine, so we'll see how Florida does. And this is another one of those, it's kind of a mid-season rivalry game. They're considered considered permanent rivals, cross-division rivals in the SEC, so they do play each other every year. So it does have some history there. And they also actually do have some bad blood. If you remember the hurricane situation with the with the whole debacle of trying to schedule reschedule the game, mm-hmm. it was back in 2017, 2018. They are still very angry at each other about that. Um, I don't know the whole history, but they are still angry. And they still talk about it. So I know that there's some bad blood between these schools. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of those this is one of those midseason rivalry games where it really checks certain teams. Coach O is officially going to be gone. Do you okay? And do you Emory think, Jones is benched? Do you actually think? Okay, I'm not trying to get conspiracy theorists here or anything, but do you think there's like a non-zero chance that Coach O actually isn't let go if LSU keeps winning? He's gone. He's one hundred. Even gone. if they they it, win, it's all they the beat Bama. Issues. You think so? So here's the thing. <laughs> He would have been fired either way due to due to his on the field performance, but the off the field issues are just not. You can't overlook them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into the Title IX thing just simply because we don't know and I don't want to speculate. Yeah. But we do have confirmed reports. So here here's an example of something he apparently did. He went up. He was at a gas station in Baton Rouge. He went up to a woman and he said, "Hey, you look like you work out." The woman then informed him that she was married and pregnant, and he literally said, Oh, what's that matter? Oh, no. And this woman ended up being the wife of a prominent LSU staffer. Wife of a prominent LSU staffer. And, of course, word got around to the LSU president, to the LSU board of whatevers. So it's him doing stuff like that. They're just tired of him. Yeah. I I, I, I see what you mean. (laughs) They they're gonna look. They're not gonna give him any any leeway. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like like pessimistic, but I I do sometimes question like when teams fire coaches off of quote unquote off the field issues. If part of the reason you know these issues even came up in the first place is because they were like leaked because they were losing games. I'm not trying. Like, I'm not saying like what Coach O did is right. Like obviously that's terrible. Like that that is like a fireable offense, but. You do have to wonder, like, am I cynical in believing that if LSU was, like, undefeated right now and, like, ranked number two, that they wouldn't care about what Coach O did? They would definitely be willing to overlook certain things. Yeah, like, that's how I kind of see it. Like, I I don't know. I mean, I'll try to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's hard not to be pessimistic about things like this sometimes. No, I understand. And it's, it's a weird situation regardless. Yeah. Well, so long, farewell, I guess. Uh... I don't know if he's ever going to find another job, but talk about a fall. I mean, the dude two years ago was at the top of the world, Heisman winner, undefeated, national champion. And now he's in the unemployment line. <laughs> he'll, he'll be fine. Hey, he's getting a $17 million yeah, buyout. I mean, he'll be fine. He'll make money. That's man. the dream job right there as a I, fired football I just coach. I don't think he's ever going to be coaching again is what I'm saying. I mean, this is this is pretty bad. He might. He, I could see him trying to be an analyst, but not. he doesn't have a radio voice. He doesn't. No, <laughs> that's true. Unlike us, of course. Of course. Silky smooth. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last game I wanted to recap very quickly, just sure. as an all encompassing point about the Pac 12 was Utah and Arizona State. Hmm. Uh, if you remember, Arizona State, we, we built them up and talked about how impressed we were with the fact that they just keep winning in conference yeah. and they win big. Yep. Yep. Well, they blew a two touchdown lead 
They gave up 28 straight unanswered to lose 35 to 21. And I like the Pac-12. I love watching Pac-12 after dark. But I feel like that entire conference is just made up of 0.500 teams that all just beat up on each other. <laughs> like, there's, it's impossible to predict this conference. It I legitimately is. don't understand them at yeah. all. I, I don't get it. Like, you'd think, I mean, you'd, you'd think Arizona State, like we were saying, they were going to separate themselves from the pack this weekend. They were going to really, you know, make a big statement, win on the road. And now their season's kind of over. I mean, they, they're still competing, but the playoff picture is well gone now for Arizona State. I think the playoff picture was already gone before this weekend. Um, I think they're what they're looking for is a New York Six at this point. Yeah. And that's what they're fighting for. Yeah, I mean, good luck, though, at this point. I, I don't think the Pac-12... Like, or if Oregon wins out, they're making the playoffs, but uh, I just don't trust them, man. I don't trust them to win out, unfortunately. There's too much chaos going on. Yep. All right. Speaking of chaos, and hoping for chaos in this otherwise perhaps quiet week, shall we move on to uh, this weekend's predictions? Some of our takes. I am ready if you are. I, I've selected three games, keeping it kind of short this week, um, at least for games we're going um, really in depth on. And I think I want to go in increasingly hot take order, if that's okay with you, okay. Randy. Uh, I'll start with my, my my least hot take, I suppose you could say. Uh, and I'm giving a shout out to Maryland at Minnesota. Been doing some research on this, and uh, Minnesota, the Gophers, or the Goofers, as I call them, Goofers. They they have a tendency to play like every opponent close, and oftentimes they're cheating death. They're 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 winning games they shouldn't be winning, um, and they have lost a few games because of this. They lost a lowly Bowling Green earlier in the season. I remember that. Yeah, they, they barely survived. I tried to cheer game. you up with that. No, it I was tried good. to cheer you up with that. I, I feel cheered up because that's that's embarrassing. Uh, they, they barely survived Purdue and Nebraska. And listen, I, I know Maryland is kind of uh, in a bad place right now, but they've lost to two good teams. I know we were just memeing on Iowa, but listen, having Iowa and Ohio State back-to-back, that's that's a pretty tough stretch of games, you know? And I, I think them, you know, playing Minnesota is going to be something of a sigh of relief. Like, you play two juggernauts back-to-back, you're playing a bit of a softer team, a bit of a less athletic team. Um, it's going to be a little bit easier for Maryland to ease in and that's especially true for a guy like Talia. Um, we always talk about, or at least NSB talks about, how Talia gets flustered. He gets panicked, you know, when Maryland falls behind early. I don't see Minnesota being the team that jumps out to an early lead and puts Maryland, you know, behind 14 or 21 points. I think it's going to be a pretty close game from start to finish. And the kind of game where Maryland finally kind of is able to separate itself near the end, put up some points with Talia. Again, high scoring offense. Really fast-paced, high-flying offense. I think Maryland wins this one. Probably 41-27. I, I, I think they win. All right. I think that does sound about right. Um, I mean, game I, I wanted to bring up. Oh, I, sorry. We... No, I was just saying, I am biased. I do hate Minnesota. We all know that. But <laughs> yeah, I know you hate Minnesota. <laughs> they're, a weird, they're a very weirdly hated team for somebody I don't even think about that much. Yeah. Big Ten fans hate them. We do. Anyway. Uh, I wanted to bring up the Pittsburgh versus Clemson game. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is favored by three. Um, I think it's very possible Clemson might be able to pull off the upset versus a very hot Pittsburgh team. (laughs) Oh, there it is again. (laughs) Okay, no, I actually think Pittsburgh is going to win this game. I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, they are technically favored. Pittsburgh's offense, led by Kenny Pickett, who I recently praised, 
if if anybody can can penetrate this Clemson defense, it's going to be them. If anybody can finally put up points, look, Clemson's defense has been playing amazingly. I think Clemson's defense is better than Georgia's. They're just not going to really get a lot of credit given the way Clemson in general is playing right now. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I think Pittsburgh defense. Pittsburgh's defense has been improving week to week. For example, they only gave up seven to Virginia Tech. They gave up 21 to Georgia Tech. And that was after they gave up 34 and then 44 to Western Michigan and Tennessee. So that's a that's a per-game improvement. And three of these games were road games. They're finally getting some home games now, yeah. including a home game versus Clemson. And with as bad as Clemson's offense is, I don't see them. I don't see that trend reversing. DJ Uyangalale, he has he only has 900 yards in the season, four touchdowns total on the season through six games, and three interceptions. Yikes. That is very bad. Yeah, I, very very bad. I think I'm with you on this. To be honest, I mean Clemson, as talented as they are, their offense is like difficult to watch this season. For whatever reason, they just they just can't get anything going. And I think okay. in the event of a shootout, I think Pitt wins that. The thing is, I don't even think it would be a shootout. The thing is. In general, offensive coordinators know how to account for the deficiencies in their offense. Clemson has deficiencies, but they still have talent. Their offensive line isn't the best. Their receivers are really good. Their quarterback isn't the best, and their running back isn't the best. Obviously, that's a lot to account for, but they still try to play and call plays as if it's Trevor Lawrence back there. Right. You know, For example, when we had Lane Kiffin as our offensive coordinator like in 2014 with Blake Sims, we went through a ton of bubble screens, a ton of screens, a ton of one yard and scramble, one yard and one yard or run passes, and even a little bit of RPO with them where you make it easy for the quarterback. Given what DJ Uyangalale has to work with, you need to make it easy for him, not harder. And it's it's they're not doing him any favors with the play calling. That's why I don't fully see Clemson as a lost cause. It's just baffling that it's taking this long for their offensive coordinator to get it. Yeah. And based on what I've seen from Clemson fans is that they are not happy with him either. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's pretty shocking. Like, I figured, you know, they'd kind of have it turned around by this point. We saw Ohio State turn it around, right? I mean, Ohio State looks like they're in playoff form at this point, but Clemson's still kind of lost. And I, I don't think that changes this weekend. I think they lose to Pittsburgh as well. Another game I'm looking forward to this weekend, LSU at number 12, Ole Miss. Uh, Now listen, people are acting like LSU is some sort of like bottom feeder, disgraced, embarrassed program, when in reality, okay, they're 4-3 off of a pretty tough schedule so far. They still technically control their own destiny in the SEC West, and let's face it, they're still one of the most talented teams in the entire nation. All right, last week's win against Florida wasn't a mistake, it wasn't an accident, Okay, LSU certainly has the potential to beat a team like Florida, and they frankly have the potential to beat a team like Ole Miss, even though it is at Ole Miss, admittedly. Now listen, I I kind of see this season ending one of two ways for LSU. Um, there's sort of a good ending and a bad ending. The good ending for LSU is the whole team rallies around Coach O. Uh, they're, they're kind of playing for him, right? They're, they're working extra hard. They're locked in. They're focused. And I'm not saying they win out. But they win enough. They win enough to probably beat every team that's not Bama. Uh, they, they make a good bowl game, win their bowl game. I, I really think LSU could finish 9-4, and four, you know, ranked in the top 25 at the end of the season. Um, if, you know, things go properly for LSU, if, if we get the good ending. 
On the other hand, there is the band ending, of course, where, you know, Kocho gives up. The whole team is basically checked out. Locker room falls apart. Uh, they play with no energy, no emotion, and they lose to Ole Miss. They lose to Bama, Arkansas, A&M, and they don't even make a bowl game. Uh, I, I think it goes one of two ways. I don't think there's literally any middle ground in here, given the circumstances for LSU. And I've chosen to be optimistic. I've chosen to take the path where LSU wins. And I, I listen, I think they beat Ole Miss. I really do. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think they have the talent to beat them. And if they do, I'm serious, Randy. Look out, because they play BAM the following week. LSU wins. Well. I said it. I, I think LSU has a lot of potential. So I agree with everything you just said with the good ending versus the bad ending. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think it really matters as on a whole season basis. I think they know that essentially their season is is done, for <laughs> lack of a better word. But I think it's going to go on a more game-to-game basis. Hmm. Where they they still have a lot of pride. The thing was okay. So the thing about Cajun culture, for those of you who aren't familiar with with the South and with Cajuns, is Cajuns are a very proud people. <laughs> I don't uh, describing them as a group is kind of odd to me because they are just Southerners at the end of the day. Yeah. But Cajun culture is very prideful in a lot of ways and very like show offy. You don't want to look weak. They're they're all about that. And so they they really do have something to play for, if nothing else, than salvaging their own pride. I mean, they are the pride of the state of Louisiana. L- the state of Louisiana loves LSU football. So it's still one of those things where even if the season is done, they're still going to have that to play for. Yeah. Just on a game-to-game basis. And yeah, they're going to drop some bad games, like to Auburn, Kentucky, UCLA. But on any given day, it looks like they have the ability to compete, to compete with anybody if they can pull it together. Yeah. It would be very foolish for us to assume that we're going to be LSU, especially. Well, it's at Bama, but either way, <laughs> it's still very foolish for us to assume any game is a win, yeah. much less versus LSU. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, I'll be honest. I think Bama wins that. But I, I think LSU has certainly the potential to build something of a comeback in the second half of the season. I think they have a lot to rally for at this point. Uh, a game I would like to talk about is Iowa State versus Oklahoma State. These are two top of the Big 12 teams. Iowa State was a team we very much clowned on early in the year, especially in the preseason for being overrated. However, I'm kind of... We're, since they've lost a couple of games and have been brought back down to earth, I'm, I can give a more nuanced take on them. And I think they are an 8-10 to 10 win team. I think they are very good. I think they have done a good job of handling adversity and pulling themselves together. Granted, they did just play a weak Kansas State team and a very, very weak Kansas team. Very, yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless, the games that they are losing, they're losing to top 10 teams. And they're losing by like two points. They're losing by a touchdown. So it's not like they're just getting beat. And they're they're usually in these games to the very last second. So I give them credit for that. Give them credit for fighting. They're an immensely tough team. So I can give them credit for that. So that's why this game interests me. Because Oklahoma State, as I keep saying, Mm -hmm. they can't keep getting away with it. (laughs) And I think this could be the game at Iowa State. After, right after this tough game at Texas, this could be the time that they finally lose. Yeah, I could see that. I, You know, it's interesting because we did clown on Iowa State a lot, you know, to start the season. But I got to say, like, a lot of that clowning and making fun of them is really with the fact that they were kind of overrated heading into the season. I, I think, you know, 
Iowa State being 4-2 and two and having a shot at upsetting Oklahoma State is kind of what we expected them to be. So in, in a way, exactly. it's like, you know, that said, a 4-2 and two Iowa State team, I could absolutely see beating Oklahoma State at home. You know, I, I, it wouldn't be that shocking to me. What's shocking really is that Oklahoma State is still undefeated. Like, that's kind of crazy, that shocking to you me. know? <laughs> well, because their quarterback play has not been very good. Spencer Sanders has less than 1,000 yards so far. Six touchdowns, five interceptions. Not very good. Yeah. Uh, with that one. said, hypothetically speaking, if Iowa State and Iowa replayed each other this week, who do you think wins? Ooh, uh, oh, God. That's a good question. Honestly, probably Iowa State. Only I was going to say. Only because... Iowa's offense hasn't improved at all the entire year. Like, they're still as bad as they were to start the season, whereas Iowa State has improved. And that's what I'm saying is that so many teams either improve, regress, or stay the same throughout the season. Mm -hmm. It it can be very hard to get a clear picture sometimes, but given what we're seeing now, Brock Purdy has improved. He's playing fine. It, It would be a very interesting... It'd be very interesting to see that game now. Yeah, I, I would I would like to see that too. Iowa State's good. They're not great, but they're good. And I do find it funny that both Oklahoma teams have quarterbacks named Spencer that they don't like, that they want to see benched. That is wild. Small world, <laughs> you know? All right, and I had one final game I wanted to talk about um, a little bit in depth here. A game no one's talking about. This is my wizard bet for the week. So I'm putting, you know, all the chips on the table for this one. Number 16, undefeated, Wake Forest at Army, the Army. Uh, Listen, Wake Forest is undefeated, and right now at the moment, in first place in the ACC. But it feels like no one's really talking about them, wouldn't you say? Um, I agree. At least in terms of the playoff picture, it feels like we're still kind of like, eh, they're they're doing their thing, but they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Exactly. Um, We're waiting for them to lose. We're waiting for them to lose. And here's the thing. Wake has had back-to-back scares. All right, they barely survived Louisville. They they won by three points. They barely survived Syracuse, also winning by just three points. They've had a pretty uh, pretty mediocre, if not weak, schedule so far this season. I believe Army is actually their like premier out of conference matchup this season. They don't have like a P five out of conference uh, matchup so far, so this is kind of like their big one. And in contrast, man, the Army. I just saw them last weekend. Just saw them on Saturday uh, playing Wisconsin. They look good. All things considered. And I'm not just saying that because Wisconsin's bad, okay? Army actually plays P5 teams pretty close historically, or at least in the last three years. Um, they, they only lost to Wisconsin by seven points last week. Uh, they lost to number seven Michigan by three points in double overtime back in 2019. I remember that game. That was a crazy game. That. And the year before that, in 2018, they lost to number five Oklahoma, 28 to 21 in overtime. Um and, you know, the reason they play these P5 teams so close is because Army's the kind of team that it really doesn't matter who they're playing. Um, their style of offense is so unique and so uh, unnormal <laughs> that it kind of comes down to coaching uh, more than anything, more than talent, really. Um, you need a defense that is really good at stopping the run, is a defense that's really smart, that can adapt to stop the triple option because, let's face it, no one really does the triple option these days except for Army. I know Georgia Tech used to do it, but... You know, that changed a while ago. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I, I've got a lot of data here to back this up. Army loves to play keep away. All right. At one point in the game on Saturday, they had a seven-minute possession that ended in a punt. <laughs> okay, let that sink in. A seven-minute possession 
that ended in a punt. <laughs> Wait, where where did they punt from? Like what yard line? I want to say like the forty, because like it was like a fourth and five or something like that, and like that's that's too much for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but like that's the kind of that's the kind of thing though. It's, even if they're not hey, scoring, that's classic Big Ten football, though, right? Yeah, but like even if they're not scoring, even if they're, if they're not like putting up points on the board, they're they're dominating time possession. They're wearing down your defense, right? They're limiting your number of possessions. I counted, and Wisconsin effectively only had seven possessions on offense the entire game. Like seven possessions where you know there's more than like ten seconds on the score uh, on the clock, I should say, uh, and. I mean, when you have that, you know, few number of possessions, uh, you really need to make every one of them count. Wake Forest strikes me as the kind of team that's a little bit more air raidy, a little bit more, uh, you know, inclined to pass the ball on first and second and third down. And if Wake Forest can string together like two or three three and outs in a row, uh, they're going to fall behind pretty quickly. And you don't want to fall behind Army because they're going to just dominate the time possession. Um, one final point to give me confidence as to why I think Wake Forest can't stop Army uh, they have one of the worst run defenses in the entire nation, at least as far as P5 teams go. They have the number 91 ranked rush defense. Um, it's it's bottom 10, I believe, in P5. Um, and so I, I, I don't really see them, you know, necessarily having the talent or the discipline to stop a team like Army. And last but not least, this is at West Point. Believe it or not, this is actually at Army. Yeah. <laughs> Wake's going on the road. So I, I, it just, to me, man, I'm looking at this matchup and it just feels like everything is going in the Army's favor. Like, I really can't think of really anything where, where Wake has the advantage. So I, I, it would be kind of neat to see this upset. Finally, Army getting the big P5 win that they've looked for for years. But um, I, I, I'll say it. I think, I think Army just out-physicals them and, and wins pretty comfortably. I would like to point out, Please. the only thing I can point out about Army is that their quarterback in a triple option offense actually outplayed Grand Mertz uh, in terms of passing stats. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. It actually this, the is, this is a good point. They pass the ball so so little, so few times, that when they do pass the ball off like a play action or something, it completely catches the defense off guard. I, I want to say they had like one or two passes in the entire first half. And their first completion was like like a forty yard bomb. Like they had like a play action, no one saw it coming, and they had a guy just like completely wide open in the secondary. Um, that that's just kind of the style of football they play. Like they don't pass very often, so when they do pass, it's very meaningful, right? They're they're setting up like a really devious play action that's going to totally burn your defense. And Wisconsin, as bad as we are, we have a good defense, and we fell for it. I I don't think Wake Forest is going to be all that much better at handling them, to be honest. Yeah, they're definitely going to be selling out to stop the run. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly hadn't actually put too much thought into this game, but now that you put it like this, there, there's this could be the week that we see Wake Forest go down. I know we all want to see a Cinderella team, especially one like Lake Forest, mm-hmm. to do very well, but it hey, is what it is. One final thing. I keep saying one last thing, but truly the last thing I want to say on this matchup. Do you want to know who the last team Wake Forest lost to is? Who is it? Wisconsin. Is it Wisconsin? In the Mayo Bowl. <laughs> Mayo Bowl. So there you go. That's why I'm interested in this one. Yeah. <laughs> so I rolled Jimbo up by accident a little earlier. He said he originally was not going to talk about the Wisconsin-Purdue game, but it, it seems now that he's ready. I am, I guess. <laughs> I've got a lot to say about Wisconsin, really. Not so much Purdue, but I have to defend my team's honor. So what I said about Wisconsin was this is this is going to be a very season defining game for them. It's three and three Wisconsin versus four and two Purdue at Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
their quarterback, Graham Mertz, I keep talking bad about him. I just don't he's just too bad. I so here's the thing, okay, you can look at Mertz's numbers and yes, obviously, atrocious. Like that like that's very clear, right? But the thing is, like now that we've you know, we've had I wanna say six games that we played, we've kind of gotten a better feel for sort of why we're struggling. Like we know we're struggling, we do that from game one. Now we, we have more context, we have a lot more receipts, a lot more footage to look at. And really our problem more than anything, I feel like, is the play calling. Uh, you talked about Iowa having really vanilla play calling. Well, I'd say Wisconsin gives Iowa a run for their money. It's it's extremely predictable. Like nine times out of ten, Paul Christ is going to do a run on first down, a run on second down, and probably a pass on third down if it's third and long. Um, so teams know exactly what's going to happen, and that's not really doing us any favors. I, I, I find, though, that when when we are running the ball well and we're setting up, you know, like second and three or maybe like third and one, it really makes Graham Mertz feel a little bit more comfortable. Like, once we have a good run game, it sort of opens up our pass game because then, I mean, def- defenses have to actually respect um, both, the, both the rushing and passing attempt. And I will say, the number one thing that gives me hope for this season is a 17-year-old named Braylon Allen, our running back. You probably haven't heard of him, and that's fine with me because no one's heard of him because no one's watched Wisconsin play in the last three weeks. But there's a 17-year-old true freshman from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, who has been slowly but surely kind of uh, separating himself as the number one running back on our team. He's put up over 100 yards against Army and Illinois back-to-back. Uh, he's got like four touchdowns on the season or something like that already, despite playing only two games. And him being on the field has really opened up our offense. So for me, the number one thing heading into this game more than anything, because I know our defense is going to be good, we need to actually run the ball well. If we can run the ball well, give it to our really good running back, Braylon Allen, get some yards, you know what I'm saying? Get some get some time possession. If we can do that, it's going to ease in Graham Mertz. It's going to make him feel comfortable. It's going to make him calm, collected, and confident. And if we can do that, I think we win. Well, the thing is, if every team is selling out to stop the run on first and second down, I don't see why they're not at least throw, calling some pass plays, some yeah. quick pass plays. Maybe you, at least a screen. It mix it, yeah. At least a screen. Mix it up. If they're just straight up not allowing him to even have a chance, I mean, that's one thing. I would like to point out his season stats are 900 yards, <laughs> two touchdowns, seven God. interceptions. That doesn't even that count the fumbles. Very, that doesn't even count the fumbles, dude. That doesn't even count the fumbles. Yeah, he's had some very untimely fumbles that lost them. For example, the Penn State game. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's going to be on the offensive coordinator if they're just straight up not letting him try. Look, you're 3-3. Three and three. The offensive coordinator has to just let him have a chance. He had a good game to start the year last year. Just let it fly. And they let it fly uh, that game. They let it fly that game. They just said, F it. We're going deep. Dairy raid, right? Remember that? There you go. Dairy raid. Purdue's quarterback isn't somebody to write home about because Aiden O'Connell, he has six touchdowns, five interceptions for 1,100 yards. That's not eye-popping. Yeah. So I think with Wisconsin's defense, they could shut down Purdue. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I, my only fear with the defense, really the only flaw in all of our defense is uh, the passing, like our secondary. It's just okay. It's not It's not bad, but it's it's definitely not great compared to like our, our, our rushing defense, which is one of the best in the nation. So I do fear that this could end up being a game where, I mean, Purdue just kind of chucks it deep every play and, you know, puts up enough points that we fall behind early and just kind of never claw our way back. That's, that's kind of how I see Purdue winning this. But conversely, I see Wisconsin winning by controlling the time possession, running really well, just just stuffing it down their throats, and 
you know, not making Mertz do too much, but giving opportunities, right? Giving opportunities to to kind of put the game away and, uh, you know, score some points. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, for our final game, we have Oregon versus UCLA. This is going to be my hot take for the week. I believe UCLA wins this game. It's 5-1 and one Oregon versus 5-2 and two UCLA. UCLA does have that loss to Arizona State and to Fresno State, which are two very good teams, granted. Mm-hmm. However, I like UCLA. They have a very talented quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. 13 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, 1,500 passing yards. And he also has 400 rushing yards, so he is he's dual threat. He can get it done on the through the air and on the ground. He's very he's a very electric athletic player. He can make some very wow plays, especially with his legs. While Oregon's quarterback is actually pretty decent himself, Anthony Brown, seven touchdowns, one interception, 1,200 yards. So he does have half the half the passing touchdowns as Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um. Do you think, um, like, the whole Chip, I know we're kind of removed from it at this point, but do you think that, like, Chip Kelly, you know, playing his old team, Oregon, uh, plays any role in this with, like, emotions or or anything like that? It has to. It has to. The game is at the Rose Bowl, so it's not like he's going to be going to Oregon and rehashing old memories. I mean, he's played Oregon already before. Yeah, that's true. But I think it does. I mean, it's one of those weird things, going against your previous employer they didn't leave on bad terms or anything but it's still one of those situations i'm sure he has a little bit of extra motivation going into the game right it'll be interesting to see how it plays out the thing with oregon though is that usually they win by having that high flying electric offense right but not this year this year the way they've been winning even in the ohio state game is they win defensively which is not what we're used to from seeing them seeing from them yeah they have the projected number one draft pick in Kayvon Thibodeau, who he is a game wrecker. He's very good. So he's going to have to be have his eyes on Dorian Thompson-Robinson at all times. But my hot take is that UCLA will win this game. Really? I, yep. It, it should be good. I know, we, you know, much like uh, Iowa at the start of the season, we hyped up UCLA quite a bit. And even though they're unranked, I still feel pretty validated about that because they are 5-2, and two, which is pretty good. It's actually kind of surprising that they're not ranked. And I, I think if they can pull off the upset, if they can beat Oregon, I mean, they're definitely you know back in contention for winning the Pac-12. They only lost one game in the Pac-12, if we forgot. And uh, At this point, yeah, at this point, they still control their own destiny for yeah. the conference. So the one thing that gives me pause for really both teams is that both teams had close scares versus pretty bad teams last week. Yeah. Oregon was tied with Cal in the fourth quarter and only won by a touchdown and Cal is one and five and UCLA only beat Washington by a touchdown and Washington, as we know, did lose to an FCS team. (laughs) It's the Pac-12 though, dude. I mean, anything can happen. You got to remember that. Pac-12 is the ultimate embodiment of chaos in this sport. Like there, there that's isn't, what we love after dark. Yeah, there isn't possibly like an upset that's too like hot, hot of a take. You know what I mean? A- anything can happen, it feels like, in the Pac-12. Sadly, this one's not after dark, though. I'm looking now. It's It starts at 2.30 on ABC. Yeah, no. I, just like, I just like the mean Pac-12 after dark. It is fun, of course. Very fun. Okay, so for our guest pickers, we have two celebrity guest pickers. The one and only procrastinator hello he's a big fan of what is it eastern washington 
Uh, the Eastern Eagles? Washington and USC, the Trojans, of course, not the. the, the, the uh, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't, don't say, say it. it. We'll get canceled. Okay. Um, he he's our West Coast representative. We get accused of having East Coast bias, so no more. And we also have a celebrity guest, Rhett Rhett Maestro. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, he's a fan of a very. He's he's a fan of a team. We'll just call them a team. Ohio State. <laughs> All right. So, are you guys ready to kick this off? Rapid fire. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I'm I'm 100 percent oh, ready. I'm, I'm ready as I can be. All right. One and five Tulane versus still undefeated six and zero oh, number twenty one SMU. Obviously, SMU is going to win this. I'm sad that Tulane is one and five. Uh, SMU probably wins by like twenty one though. Um, I'm definitely going to take SMU. It's at home, and Tulane is awful. Yeah, I'm going to take SMU here, too. Tanner Mordecai slinging 26 touchdowns on the year through, like, seven games. It's going to be an easy win here. I'm going to say 28. Yeah, I have SMU by 21 or 28. All right, we have 6-0, and number two, Cincinnati, versus the Navy at 1-5. and uh, let's be honest, since he's going to win this one by like 35 points, since he by a mile. I I definitely think Cincinnati will win. I'm not sure if they'll cover, but if they don't cover, it'll only be by like, they'll only, it'll only be a 25 point, it's not cover. Yeah, I I got Cincy. They, I think they're most likely covering. I think it'll be a late cover. I think Cincinnati is very good. They keep dominating these games, and I think they're just going to keep on keeping on. All right, we have a not so interesting game. <laughs> number three, number three, Oklahoma undefeated at seven zero. They keep getting away with it versus Kansas at one and five. Yeah, we're gonna keep the blowout train going here. I mean, obviously Oklahoma's gonna win by a lot. What I'm really interested in is seeing who starts at quarterback. That's the real storyline of this game. I'm just proud that Kansas won a game against an FCF school. So I'm definitely gonna go with Oklahoma. And they'll probably cover handily. <laughs> well, uh, Kansas did what Arizona could not do, and that is beat an FCS school. But uh, I got OU. I think they. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat them by like fifty or something stupid like that. Yeah. The only interesting tidbit I have about Oklahoma and Kansas is I thought it was hilarious uh, that time Baker Mayfield played versus Kansas, and he had a. A choice gesture for the Kansas Jayhawks. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. All right, the next game is Northwestern at three and three versus still undefeated Michigan at six and zero. Oh. Listen, I keep saying Michigan is due for a loss, but it's not this week. Northwestern's pretty bad, so I think Michigan wins pretty easily. Um, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna go against the grain. I'm gonna take Northwestern. It's it's Michigan's gonna go into next week. They want to be undefeated against Michigan State. I think they might overlook them. It's at home. This is peak big shenanigans. I'm gonna take Northwestern. No no bias there. None. <laughs> uh, I mean, I th- I mean, Rhett's got a point here, but I think Michigan is still gonna win, at, even though they won't cover the spread. Yeah, I think it's very easy to pick Northwestern. I feel like I don't know that much about the Big Ten, but Northwestern is always one of those teams that I hear about ruining Big Ten seasons, much like Purdue does. So, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to take Northwestern. Love it. All right. Next game. 2-5 Illinois at 5-1, number 7 Penn State. Uh, having played both teams as a Wisconsin fan, I got to say 
Penn State's not that great, but Illinois is abysmal. Ooh. I think Penn State wins this one pretty easily. It's at home, too, so they should cover. Uh, Clifford's not playing, so I'm going to say Penn State won't cover, but they're still going to win. Uh, Penn State's easily going to win. I don't think there's much to talk about this game. I'm surprised Jimbo isn't giving more love to old Burt Belima at Illinois, but <laughs> no, hey. He's bad. He's bad. That's true. <laughs> All right. Now we finally are getting into some very interesting games that are going to be – we're going to have a lot more to talk about with these, starting with number 16, still undefeated Wake Forest at 6-0 and versus the Army at 4-2. and I, and it's at Army. It's true. I said it early in the podcast that my wizard better this week is Army defeating Wake Forest. I stand by this. I think Army, the way they play, can challenge any opponent. doesn't matter who you are. I think Army finds a way to win this one. Um, I, I disagree wholeheartedly. I don't think Army is going to do anything. They've had a two-game skid. They lost against the extremely potent Wisconsin offense. <laughs> and one of their wins is against UConn, which... Does that actually count as an F- a football team? Um, so I'm definitely going to take Wake Forest in this one. I think they keep rolling. Uh, UConn is like the best football team ever, and I'll take Wake Forest. All right. I actually choose my hot take as Army because I don't know. With Jimbo brought this up earlier. Uh, Wake Forest has one of the worst rushing defenses in all of FBS, and this is versus a triple option team. So... Very interesting to see. I'm going to go for a hot take and pick the Army. All right. Next game, we have 3-3 three and three Wisconsin at 4-2. and two, Number 25, Purdue, coming fresh off the Iowa upset. Listen, I, I did say earlier in the podcast that I think we have a good shot at winning, but one fun fact that you might not know this, Wisconsin has lost like eight of eight last games against ranked opponents, and son of a gun, Purdue is ranked. So I think we keep it close, as always, but find a way to lose. Um, this one is probably the hardest one to, to decide. I mean, Purdue is, uh, you know, four and two, but one of those wins is UConn, which once again, shouldn't even count. Um, and they had a very, very close call with, with a 13 to nine win against Illinois and Wisconsin blew Illinois out of the water. And I know, you know, doesn't always mean that Wisconsin is going to win, but I think Wisconsin has found some footing. So I'm going to take them. Uh, just before I talk about this, is Mertz healthy? Jimbo? <laughs> Believe it or not, he's he is. Healthy. Believe it. Given he how bad is. his numbers are, he is healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then, uh, I'm going to pick Purdue then because uh, Mertz is going to throw a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh, you have to your number fair. one quarterback? Yeah. No, you're not winning now. Sorry. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> to be fair to what Rhett said about Purdue, they did also play Notre Dame very close. Purdue is one of those weird teams. I don't even know how to begin yeah. to describe them. I think but, this is the most difficult game of the week to pick. It probably is one of the most difficult. I, I'm actually going to pick Wisconsin. I think they're finding their footing a little bit. I think hopefully they can get something together. Uh, the next game is still undefeated, number eight, Oklahoma State at 6-0. and They also just keep getting away with it versus Iowa State at 4-2. and Like I said earlier, I think Iowa State probably finds a way to win this one. Iowa State's pretty good. Uh, Oklahoma State's just good. It'll be a close one, but I think Iowa State finds a way to upset them. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Oklahoma State. I know they played three ranked teams in a row, and I know it's the second of back-to-back away games, but I think I think this Oklahoma State will, will choke later in the year, probably <laughs> TCU or West Virginia, uh, and I don't think it'll be ISU this year. I think ISU's going to fall to four and three. 
this Oklahoma State team, they look pretty good. Uh, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma State here. Oklahoma State has a good defense, but I'm a much bigger believer in Brock Purdy than I am Spencer Sanders. So I'm going to pick Iowa State. I actually think Iowa State, despite what the records say, is just an overall top-to-bottom better team. Next game, number 10, Oregon at 5-1 and one versus UCLA at 5-2. and two. All right, I, I did some soul-searching, and though I probably want UCLA to win, I think Oregon probably finds a way. They just, they're really talented, especially on defense, and I think that's probably enough to pull through. I hope to God that Oregon wins. Please. Please, God. Any reason? I know your play calling has oh, been abysmal. Needs, it's been at the CFP god awful for two weeks in a row. They backdoored Stanford into winning, and they barely pulled out the W against Cal. They have been in abysmal form. Please, God, I think UCLA is going to win this game. I mean, the line's looking pretty close. It's favoring UCLA. Um... But it just really, uh, I really just have to think like how much of Oregon's past reputation, you know, like, you know, when they were good and beating Ohio State is going to keep on going. So, I mean, it's going to be a really close game. Uh, I might have to go with right here and pick UCLA. That was my hot tech for the week as well, was UCLA is going to win this game. I, f- I forgot that Ohio State fans really need to see Oregon continue to lose or at least lose one more. To, to ensure their CFP spot. Um, next game, LSU Tigers at four and three, and they're going to be playing Ole Miss, number twelve Ole Miss, who is still five and one and keeps surviving. D- despite all the drama with Coach O and him seemingly being gone at the end of the season, I'm still high on LSU. I still believe in them. I still believe they find a way to beat Ole Miss. You know, I I think Ole Miss might be a tad overrated, but I'm not comfortable enough to pick LSU. As we all know, Coach O is on his way out after this year. So really, it's just a question of, um, is LSU going to give enough of a fart to play well? So I think I'm going to go with Ole Miss because I don't want to gamble on the uh, emotions of an LSU team that's four and three. Uh, Just to put it simply, uh, Ole Miss is winning. Uh, Go Tigers! Yeah, I think Ole Miss is going to win. I, LSU, they have a lot of, they try to have a lot of pride, and they can certainly play up on certain weeks. But I think Ole Miss is a legitimately good team. Again, tab, tad overranked, but I think they'll pull it out. The next game is going to be four and two Clemson. Could they possibly pull off the upset versus number twenty three Pittsburgh at five and one? Yeah, I mean, despite all the circumstances, obviously playing on the road is going to be tough. I. I believe in Clemson, I believe in Davo, but I just I don't think they find a way to to pull off the powerhouse that is Pitt. I, I think Pitt finds a way to really smother down Clemson early on and wins pretty comfortably. Um, I think this is definitely one of the more interesting matchups of, of the day because we have the high-powered offense of Pitt who, uh, who has been blowing out their opponents pretty comfortably versus Clemson's really good defense. Um, I think Clemson's actually going to win. I think it's going to be a reverse Pitt-Clemson situation where since Pitt's ranked, they're going to lose now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm taking Clemson. I got Pittsburgh here because DJ is really bad and he holds the offense back. True. 
I think it's going to be Pittsburgh. I don't think it's just DJ Uyunglele. I think it's their offensive line plus their plus their uh, quarterback plus their running back plus the play calling isn't very good. It's an unholy trifecta. I think Pittsburgh wins. I think if there's any offense that can penetrate Clemson's defense, it's going to be Kenny Pickett, who is again one of my Heisman front runners. All right, we have a very kind of interesting game based on what happened, the events that happened this past week. Four and three Tennessee at six and one Alabama. Uh, you brought this up beforehand in in CFB Maine that this might be one of the few times people are actually rooting for Alabama uh, against Tennessee. <laughs> I think everyone hates Tennessee, and I think Alabama especially hates them this season. Bama wins by like fifty. Uh, yeah, I don't have any faith in Tennessee to win this game. <clears throat> Full stop. Uh, I have no idea how healthy Hendon Hooker is, and if they're starting Joe Milton, Bama by a mile. This is one of those situations where Tennessee has, they're 4-3, and three, they've played okay, and they're getting a little uppity. They don't know their place in the pecking order of the SEC. And we're a team that has... <laughs> A lot of things to play for in the sense of improving week to week and trying to make sure we pull it all together. So we're not just going to take this week off. We're not going to not take the game seriously. So I think it's important that we remind them where their place is in the pecking order of the SEC this week, and I hope we win by hopefully at least 40. <laughs> at least, yeah. At no least. big deal. <laughs> All right, we have a collision course game. Two very good group of five teams. Undefeated San Diego State at number 22, 6-0, versus the Air Force at 6-1. and uh, This is a tough one because I do like Air Force. I, they, they've only lost one game. It was a really close game against Utah State. But San Diego State, dude, they've beaten a handful of P5 teams. They beat Arizona and Utah. I'm pretty high on them. I think they win this one. I'm definitely... Uh... You know, I do like San Diego State. In fact, you know, personally, I would want them to win because I like to see a group of five teams do as well as possible to, you know, shake up the top. Um, but it's in Colorado. The elevation is really high. Air Force is a very good team. I'm going to have to take Air Force in this instance. Uh, um, you know, everything's just playing in favor for Air Force. Plus, they're a really good team. So I'm going to have to go with Air Force here. I'm actually going with San Diego State for the reason that they have actually played and beaten two Power 5 teams. Granted, one of them was Arizona. The other was Utah. I still think being battle-tested a little bit in those situations matters. So I know they're not going to play scared. I mean, they wouldn't play scared regardless. But I think that experience does matter. Next game is another somewhat compelling group of five game is another undefeated group of five number 24 the roadrunners utsa meep meep at seven and oh versus louisiana tech at two and four love that intro there uh utsa obviously a really good you know feel good story um they used to suck for many years out of nowhere now they're seven and oh ranked um i i think they eventually lose a game or two but not this week louisiana tech is really bad utsa wins this one I'm I'm full meep meep this week. I mean, absolute, you know, Acme Roadrunner shenanigans. I think <laughs> U- UTSA is going to run Louisiana Tech out of their own stadium. Well, it's kind of obvious that UTSA is going to win, but I think Sincere McCormick is going to run for over 200 yards and he's going to score three touchdowns. 
They do have a very good running back. Um, one thing that Madbuck mentioned last episode was Skip Holtz is actually the longest tenured state of Louisiana coach for Louisiana Tech, and he has he's averaging eight, nine wins, ten wins per season. I wonder if he's looking ahead to possibly getting the LSU job. Be very interesting. <laughs> With that being said, meep meep. All right, the next game, one I know Rhett will be interested in, is five and one Ohio State versus two and four Indiana. Man, if you told me heading into the season that Indiana would be two and four, I would be kind of shocked because they were good last year, and last year they they played Ohio State pretty close. Uh, this year though, not so much. Uh, not so much. Uh, I think OSU wins this one pretty easily. Uh, I absolutely want to demolish Indiana. I've wanted to demolish everyone, but I want to demolish Indiana too. And uh, so, uh, am I comfortable about winning? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty comfortable. It is on the road, so always take that with a grain of salt. And Ohio State is usually do one just head scratch or loss on the road. So this might be, you know, the circle game, but I think Ohio State's going to win. Uh, if I'm not wrong, Ohio State played Oregon at, at Oregon Stadium, so I think they've already had that type no, of was, loss. It was you Ohio are State. wrong because it was at Ohio you State. You are wrong. Damn, I am wrong. <laughs> Don't cut that out, by the way. <laughs> You have to live with the shame. I do. I got to live with the shame and dishonor for generations to come. But uh, Ohio State's going to win. Yeah, Ohio State's going to win. I think Indiana having a really good season last year was kind of fluky in a lot of ways. Um, They played a Penn State team at their lowest point. They played Ohio State at kind of a low point. And that game was deceptively close. It was not as close as the score suggested. I remember it being like, what, three, four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They just kind of, they were able to make it close late, but it wasn't actually that close. All right. We ne- next game is going to be 3-3 three and three USC at 5-1 and one Notre Dame. Uh, this is a game I was really looking forward to to start the season, but USC has really looked really poorly. Obviously, Clay Hilton's gone. Notre Dame kind of shaky, but I-, I think they find a way to win this one, especially because it's at home. If if this were at USC, I might be more inclined to take USC, but I'm taking Notre Dame. I mean, USC is just a garbage program right now. Uh, I mean, we run a very bland air raid offense. Slovis did not look good against Utah. Uh, our receivers has not looked very open. Uh, I think Notre Dame's going to win comfortably comfortably you know an average 25 point loss that usc would receive to like a you know middling pac-12 team like i don't know cal i just think usc's defense usc's defense is pretty bad they give up nearly 30 40 points a game um notre dame is going to win comfortably all right four and three south carolina at five and two previously unranked but now number 17 texas (laughs) a&m Previously on rank, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, Texas A&M looks good, obviously. It feels like they're in mid-season form at this point and are kind of playing to the, the full of their potential. And frankly, I don't see South Carolina as much of a threat. Sorry, Hash Brown. Uh, A&M wins this one pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I think people are probably overreacting to a surprise upset win over Alabama, but I mean, South Carolina is South Carolina is South Carolina is South Carolina. They're not winning this game, and they're definitely not winning it on the road. So I'm taking Texas A&M. 
Uh, it really depends who's going to be starting for South Carolina here because if it's Luke Doty, it's definitely Texas A&M. But if Zeb Noland is starting, South Carolina is going to win. He's, he's just like that. All right. Well, I think Texas A&M is coming into their form a little bit. They started off slow. I swear, they're going to go 10-2, and two, and people are still going to be talking about how we lost to an unranked team. <laughs> I digress. No matter. No matter. For the final game of the week, we have North Carolina State at 5-1, and one, number 18, at Miami, 2-4. and four. Uh, NC State's pretty hot. If you recall, they did beat Clemson, and they won four in a row. Obviously, 5-1 is pretty good. I think they keep that up here. Miami is kind of in shambles at the moment, so this should be a pretty comfortable win for North Carolina State. I'm going to take Miami because good things aren't allowed to happen to NC State for too long. So this on the road is a perfect opportunity for the famed NC State shit. I mean, Hard Rock Stadium is a very empty on a Miami Saturday. So I do expect NC State to keep on rolling on and they will roll on like good enough for Manny Diaz to be fired. Because I want that to happen Ooh. and give Uber his wizard role in R slash CFB. It's probably going to happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, he's, he's guaranteed to get the can. He's going to get the sack. Yeah, Benny Diaz has not looked too good this year. I know Mad Buck talked about it last episode that he, he sees potential for a tarmacking this season. <laughs> um, but to be fair to Miami, their last two games versus Virginia and North Carolina were a two-point loss and a three-point loss. North Carolina State is known to randomly drop games like this one. But, I mean, gun to head, I would have to say North Carolina State would win. Love it. All right. Well, thank you, folks, for coming on here. It was really nice having both Procrastinator and Rhett. Loved your takes. Loved your picks. Yep. We always like having celebrity guest pickers. Oh, we do. We love it. And we, we love discussing the wizard bets. Well, I did bet that Coastal Carolina would beat App State by 17 for Wizard Roll, so I hope that happens. I think App State's actually going to pull it up. What? Yeah, I know. It pains me, too. It pains me, too. I like to see the group of five teams do well, but um, I think App State's going to do it. If you're listening to this, um, it is actually – we're not recording this on Thursday, so um, the game has already happened. So I hope the viewers at home uh, are are laughing at – whatever the results were for that game. <laughs> I do yeah, think App State wins too, actually. So, Jimbo, you need to comment now so they can they can laugh at the people who were incorrect and you haven't picked. That's true. I think... Well, uh, I think App State wins. I do. Oh, wow. There like could be three uniforms. idiots or one. I love their uniforms. You can't lose in those uniforms. They are good uniforms. Well, I mean, it was an honor to be on here. I am blessed. I feel honored. I'd like to thank my mom. I'd like to thank um, Jimbo for allowing me to be on here. It's all good, man. Uh, yeah. You had some good, you had some good uh, in, in-depth analysis, I gotta say. I'm very impressed. Thanks. All right, folks. It's been a, it's been a joy to have you uh, on board and uh, looking forward to this weekend. Thanks for listening to the Jim Podcast. We're signing out. Roll Tide. Almost constant. Go Bucks.